0: Hey friends, thanks so much for tuning into the Inner Revolution Podcast. Are you ready to be changed? Well, let's go. <clears throat> Hello friends, uh, this is the third class to Romans. Glad to be with you today. And uh, we've experienced some good classes so far. Uh, Pastor Jeff Wissett, had an excellent class finishing up Romans chapter one, and I will be starting Romans chapter two today. And just as a reminder, I failed to mention this earlier, to prepare a three paragraph essay typewritten uh, on the review of Romans chapter one. Okay, so if you can get that to me as soon as possible, uh, that would be very good. And then next week, we'll prepare for a take-home quiz, reviewing Romans chapter 1 and 2, but I want to just kind of review a couple things. Romans chapter 1 is such an excellent chapter that we really saw the gospel and the true ministry of Christ in the gospel, and then, as was shared In verse 16, there was, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for our students. We thank you, Lord, that we can be opening the Bible today and learning and growing and being transformed. Thank you, Lord. May these words be your words and use them for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So when you see this, this key verse here in verse 17, uh, for the just shall live by faith. And again, by way of review, who is he talking about? Well, anyone that puts their faith in Christ, uh, he is justified by faith through grace. And uh, this is really the premise and foundation of who we are is we are justified. We are made righteous, declared righteous because of the work of the cross. So as you start to look at verse 18 through the rest of the chapter, things start to fall apart. With this statement in verse 18. Uh, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And here's the three words. You ready? Suppress the truth. Whoever suppresses the truth. Now, we know that we can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. We know that. But when we mishandle and push down or deflect or um, devalue truth, then the verses to follow are the deconstruction or the dismantling of the work of Christ in our experience through our personal life. Now, the work of God continues in Romans 3.3, 3, uh, if we believe it or not. First Thessalonians 5, God is working in us. But we enter into the foolishness and futile futility of thought and we, uh, verse 21, and we start to enter into perversion and who exchange the truth of God in verse 25 for a lie. That means we're, we're saying, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I want my sin. I want my flesh. I want my own way. And then, you know, we start to worship the creature rather than the creator. Immediately, everything starts to flip around And the uh, fruit of it is a self-life and the wages of sin, which is death. Well, Pastor Jeff did a good job covering this whole chapter that goes into um, an alternative lifestyle. Uh, Men are lovers of themselves and lovers of same sex. And we see that God, the misuse of women... The lust for other men in verse 27 and this um this deconstruction of god's natural order for marriage for relationships for love for purity is uh is really um, shameful and uh and by the way in our day and age when we meet people let's say that are gay or lesbian or transvestite or trans or whatever you know they're all about the pronouns rather than the genders we have a really confusing uh, and really ridiculous uh, landscape you know we know it's the flesh because it's so complicated you know again not that we're combative or not that we're even trying to change the person but we present god's story we present God's mind, we present God's heart towards an individual. It's not our responsibility to change their mind. It's not our responsibility to persuade them. It's not our responsibility to correct them uh, unless they are willing to be doing that. Uh, our responsibility is to love them, not to condone it, but to present the true order of the gospel, which is Christ at the center and we come under that that center and we live a life that's holy and there's joy and there's peace and mission in our life. Well, the, this these verses here talk about the unbeliever. Can you know somebody might say I'm I'm gay and I'm a Christian. Uh, someone might say I'm a cross dresser and I'm a Christian. Well, we understand that the The fruit of sin is something in the heart, something in the heart and Leviticus 18 shows that the uh, that this lifestyle is an abomination to God. And we see even with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where that lifestyle was prevalent, he was vexed in his spirit. Can someone be saved and living in this lifestyle? Only God knows. Only God knows. But I would say this in James chapter 2 and 3, our works are justified uh, by our heart attitude and our belief system. So a Christian that's walking with God would never operate in this kind of lifestyle. Are they saved? Well, only God knows. And that's not I'm not here. You're not here to judge them in the sense of saved or not saved. But we can certainly challenge them and say, does your lifestyle glorify God? Does your lifestyle reflect the, the Bible? If you say you're a believer and you love God and and you uh, believe that you're a son or a daughter of God, then your works will justify the fruit of righteousness. And again, um, You know, we have talked with people at length. I remember being at a door and the the rainbow flag flying and, you know, these ladies came out and we gave the gospel to them uh, based on the rainbow flag, not the rainbow flag of the LGBTQ community, which is six colors, but the rainbow flag that the rainbow that God gave because of the covenant to Noah, which is seven colors. And we walked through those colors and presented the gospel. I don't know if they received it, but we presented it and the Holy Spirit can work in their lives. So we are not bashers. We are not people that, you know, condemn, but it is grieving and it's an abomination. We're not afraid to say that, but we're also our approach is gentle. It's kind. It's clear it's uh, seeking to minister Christ and if if uh, you know because god gives them over to their vile passions it says here we see a lot of arrogance and we see a lot of um a lot of pride with with this lifestyle because it's demon there's demons involved there is uh mark 9 there's oppressive demons that take over a person's life and really we know as believers we can never be possessed but we certainly can be oppressed which means they can be on us influencing us making us heavy and um, controlling our actions but they can never uh put be possessed in our they can never be in our hearts because if a true believer is saved there's only there's only room for the holy spirit but let's say a believer becomes wayward and they sin greater than an unbeliever, it says in Hebrews chapter 9, then there will be discipline, there will be chastisement, and there'll be correction. And I don't know about you, I would be worried if, if we were living in a sin, and there was no chastisement or no discipline. And I want to talk about repentance today. Uh, if there was no act of, or or um. Or demonstration of any type of discipline and the question would be am i really a son or daughter of god now i don't want you to get introspective today uh, that's not my point but i'm referring specifically to romans chapter one where there's an outward manifestation of a sexual addiction that takes over into a sexual lifestyle that creates a sexual uh, acting out so these sins can be very destructive And he goes on to say here uh, in verse 29, they're filled with unrighteousness, sexual immaturity, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, haters of God. So if I'm a believer, then I'm a lover of God. If I'm a believer, my life reflects the fruits of the Spirit. If I'm a believer, I'm hungering and thirsting after God. I think some people think they're saved and they live like the world, or they live like, um, you know, this this alternative lifestyle, uh, and they have God in their own image, but there's no surrender or submission to His truths, and therefore uh, they're not really saved because it's just a it's just an attitude of of uh, of, um, of a psychological Christianity. So, a believer is someone who's surrendered to the Principles of God, and he is or she is following him with her whole heart. Now, I'm not saying that a believer doesn't sin. I'm not saying that a believer is someone that lives a perfect lifestyle. That's not what I'm saying, but they are different from the world. They are uh, They they are someone that reflects another kingdom. So we have heard it. I have heard it. You've heard it like people that say, oh, I'm a believer, but I'm a gay pastor. Or I'm a gay. This or uh, God loves me. Would send nobody to hell. And and what, who are you to judge me? And and you know their defense mechanisms and their reactionary uh, actions are what they are. But if they're open to truth, we see the pattern of the Bible in leadership. Like, that there is no there is no room in the pattern of God for gay leadership, and that has infiltrated the church and has uh, really divided uh, people in the liberal gospel to uh, to be accepting and be very, um, you know, this is, you know, God is accepting of all cultures and all diversity. Diversity is the big buzzword here. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Well, we cannot have unity unless we have the same foundation. Amos 3.3. I'm spending a little time here because the world is mistaken. They are confused thinking that they have diversity, uh, like-mindedness based in one principle, equality. Everyone is the same. We've got to be fair. We've got to love our brother and serve our neighbor no matter where uh, or what or sexual orientation they are. Now that sounds good. And yes, we lay down our life for, for the brothers. We, yes, we serve. Yes, we love the unlovely. Yes, we pour out without a, a, expectation for return. But uh, we must be clear that unity comes with one foundation, and that's Christ and Christ crucified. Uh, that the, the gospel, in its purest sense, is the glory of God and the righteousness of God that upholds who God is. So if someone's trying to say, they're trying to initiate another um, mindset here that is outside the core values of doctrine and core values of the, of the truth, then that's not unity at all. That is, that's partnership or walking side by side. But once there's a, a confrontation or some sort of disagreement, the true colors or the foundation is exposed and it's rotten and it's it's self-centered. If you talk with people, it's usually all about themselves and their rights and their fairness and equality. When God says you can have only unity at the cross where you die spiritually and you're resurrected with me and it's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, in the Christian life, it's there's no me at the center. Uh, otherwise, it's not the Christian life. So, that is really a, a chapter that, honestly, people don't like in the world because it's very clear Paul is saying, listen, our flesh is capable of anything and it's our heart is deceitful and above all wicked. So, Yes, we love people, but we're not condoning it. Love covers a multitude of sins, but does not compromise sin. Uh, And again, our approach is loving, but also it's uncompromising and it's unapologetic. It's like, listen, if you read through the epistles, if you look through the gospels, this was never the pattern that Jesus uh, set up. And this is the problem. People are... Uh, they're making their own Bible. They're making their own truth. So this is why he starts in chapter two, verse one. Therefore, you are unexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who 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 are who judge for whoever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For if you judge, practice the same things. But know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So what's he saying? He's like, okay, that previous chapter you know, you want to do all that stuff, God says, I'll give you over your vile passions, and the wages of sin is death, disease, vexation, depression. It is anxiety. It's stress. If you want that in your life and and not following and submitting to Christ, then you will reap what you sow. Now, he brings up a big word here. Do not judge them. Now, the difference between judging and discerning is judging means i mean i have an emotion attached to my conclusion <clears throat> like i somehow have an opinion <clears throat> someone might say don't judge me well i'm not judging you i'm presenting god's mind and it's discerning which looks at the core of the of the situation and addresses the kingdom issue so judging is emotional Emotional response based on opinion, based on what I think should happen. Discernment is identifying the kingdom. What is God's mind? Does it line up with God's mind? And if it doesn't, then the contrast is obvious. So judging, we actually um, have compound judgment. Do you see that? Kind of a scary verse here. It says that whatsoever you judge, another you condemn yourself. So, which means if I am judging somebody and I'm like, oh, I would never do that. And what's, wow, that person's so wicked and I'm so great. They would never say I'm so great, but in condemning them, they're making themselves look good. There's The Bible's saying here that the sin will come off of them and come onto you and I if we judge. And then we'll have a compound judgment because we have now become the judge rather than someone that is presenting the truth well we go to a person alone in matthew 18 15 through 18 we entreat them we present the truth galatians 6 1 we go in a spirit of meekness and uh, hear their story and in love present god's heart and if they turn that's beautiful if they don't we take another brother with them uh, with us and then, if they don't, we communicate uh, with people so that they will not f- stumble into what this person is deceived in. So we do not judge. So three things: why do we not? Why do we not judge somebody? Number one: we don't know all things. Okay, uh, we may see a person's actions, we may hear, hear their words, we may see their behavior. And it's really easy to say, oh, that person is this, this, and this, and kind of write them off. But Jesus in Isaiah 11.3 did not judge based on appearance or what he heard or by the seeing of his eyes, but he trusted in the heart of his father. So I don't know all things. I don't know all things. So I I wanna just say this, that when you see something, pray, and don't be quick to rush into something because typically there's more to the story. You know, I think with any sexual sin or any sexual uh, acting out, it's because of emotional trauma. There's been some sort of abuse or trauma that's happened in that person's life that they've internalized. And it's changed or rewired their thinking about the natural orientation to things. Um, And so we have to be gracious, but also... um, Not naive okay number two we don't know how we would respond in the same circumstance. So judging let's say again, you know, we can have this pious attitude that we would be the hero or the 100% excellent in the situation, but that may not be true. We don't know how we would respond under the same circumstances, we don't know how it would be we'd like to think we would do well, you know, for instance, Peter. Peter gets a bad rap and, and like, I would never deny Christ. Well, I'd like to think I wouldn't do that either, but I'm not sure Peter was in a circumstance that I've not been in. You've Maybe you've not been in, and therefore we have to be slow to speak and quick to listen and not be a judge or a criticizer. Number three, do don't we don't know how or know what kind of spiritual warfare is going on in that person's life. So these are three reasons. Like when I or you internalize warfare, then we become oversensitive. We become uh, subjective, soulish, actually, because why? Uh, We are internalizing something and um, it is affecting our objectivity. So whenever you're in a situation, pray, work with the facts, go in a spirit of meekness, ask good questions listen carefully present the word encourage go slow and and make sure that you're not uh, destroying the person uh, but you're entreating them in a spirit of love now they may reject you they may become arrogant they may criticize you they may blame you that's all whatever that's what's going to happen you've presented god's heart and therefore you're making them accountable. Okay? Romans 14, 4, we do not judge another man's servant, for they stand or fall before God. So again, we're discerning. We go in a spirit of meekness. Hey, I see this. Can you help me understand this? Are you okay? We don't shame them openly. We go with them one-on-one. You know, I I you know I could be misunderstanding you here. Um, you know, and we can entreat a brother and hopefully they will respond. Uh, If they don't, then uh, we continue to love them, pray for them and never give up on them. But if their actions start to impact me or infect others, that's when we have to take a step and say, uh, we have to set up healthy boundaries and protect the weak, okay? So when I judge another person, the wages of sin on them, He's put on you and I. Matthew chapter 7, 1 and 2. That's a scary thing. So I don't want to presume, I don't want to assume, make come to a quick conclusion, and then presume, act on that conclusion. But I want to do all things with prayer and moving slowly and really hearing from God. So when you start to look beyond here, we, we see these beautiful verse. Verse three, and do you think, O oh man, you who judge those practicing the same things and doing the same things, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Okay, same thing. We are all capable of thought and action a moment away from doing the same thing. So by the grace of God, there goeth I. So we want to guard our heart. We want to, we want to because out of it come the issues of life. And we want to be prayerful. And uh, if we're a leader, for a leader, we guard the flock and then we we pursue the person and we invite them if they can have unity with us if they can surrender and and have the same belief system that comes from the bible if they don't we let them go and their backsliding will correct them hopefully otherwise the chastisement of the lord through the five stages of discipline will uh, maybe god will take them home in his, in his mercy uh, because of the damage they're creating. A lot to say there. I hope you're understanding the thought, and maybe that can be unpacked in the wrap tonight. But look at verse 4. Repentance. Repentance. You know, Oh, do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So I want to talk a little bit about repentance today. Goodness. You see those words? Goodness, long suffering, forbearance. Um, This is all the way God pursues you and I. He looks beyond the fault, sees the need. He looks beyond the sin, loves the sinner. He is saying, let me lead you away from that destructive thought pattern and destructive lifestyle. Let me set you free. Let me set you free. And so metanoia, the word repentance here means that God is changing our mind and changing our direction. And he is changing it to him. He's changing it to the truth of the Bible. So when you you and I are confronted with these things, we see the contrast. We see, wait a minute, I have my lifestyle, but I see this other lifestyle and I see the peace, I see the power, I see the goodness, I see the graciousness, I see the love. And that confrontation turns us, in Jeremiah 31, he turns us, verse 7 and 8, and we follow him. So repentance is a gift. That's why our message today is not repent and be saved. That's not the message of the gospel, because an unbeliever doesn't know how to repent. And nor is our message proving that the person is wrong. That may be used for certain circumstances, but we don't condemn people into a decision. You and I present who God is, and the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit instructs. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes the mind. So this is why soul winning and sharing our faith is so edifying, because we're loving the person in front of us. We are ministering life. We're sharing the good news. Uh, we are presenting the Bible. We are um, we are we are not afraid to talk about sin, but that's not the center of our message. Our message is about the Son. And the son is what keeps us uh, from continuing in sin. Or in Isaiah 30 verse 1, adding sin to sin, which a liar continues to lie, a thief continues to steal, uh, a sexual person continues to lust. How is that interrupted? Well, it's interrupted by the goodness, forbearance, and loving long-suffering of God, which leads us to a place of change. It leads us to a place where we are different. So we're able to, First uh, John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confessing our sin means I agree that it's wrong, that sin has, is an offense against God. It's against his nature. It's the missing of the mark. It's like, it's like an archer with, a, with an arrow and he's shooting the arrow and he misses the bullseye. That's sin. It misses the mark, or it's or it's it's different or does not reflect the righteousness of God. So we agree with God and say, Lord, I am a sinner, and therefore I'm going to receive your payment for sin. And when we confess our sins, our fellowship is restored. We never lose our sonship. We never lose our position. Why? Because that was something permanently given to you and I in Ephesians 1.3. I'm sorry, Ephesians 1.13. We are sealed to the day of redemption. Jo- John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. We are in the hand of God and we can never be taken out of the hand of God. We, in Romans 8.37-39, nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing, those nine things cover everything in this realm and the realm beyond. So to think that we can sin our way outside of salvation is not doctrinal. It's actually heretical. So obviously, if there's sin in our lives, God convicts. He doesn't condemn, but he convicts. And he says, that's not my way. It's not my heart. That doesn't, that's not something that I have given you. Um, and we agree with God. We name it. And we isolate it, which means we, we recognize where it's coming from. We isolate it. We don't make a place for the devil in Ephesians 4.20. And then we forsake it. So name it, isolate it, forsake it, which means we move on, not giving place to the devil. And uh, we continue uh, in, in weakness, but God strengthens us in weakness in 2 Corinthians twelve verse 9. So again, we're in a world where people don't want to hear the truth. So your life reflects the truth. Your message reflects the truth. And our approach is one of gentleness, kindness, but it does not have a theology of apology. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 together. We see the anatomy of repentance. So Believe me, the devil is not going to want to hang around you uh, because you are the wicked one does not touch you. Why? Because you're living in truth. Now, we may fail, but maturity, the quicker we recover, is it shows our maturity. So the, the issue is not trying not to sin because the strength of sin is in the law and we'll do it more and more. But the issue is my focus and my focus is Christ and my focus is the truth. And he keeps us from stumbling i love this in jude the the last three verses he keeps us from stumbling and presents us faultless before god why is that because now our focus is christ and we're being conformed to his image and he is increasing and we are decreasing the key is having what's called short accounts if you have an area in your life and it's a weakness then Hebrews 12, 1, we lay it aside or we surrender it to God. We say, Lord, this is a weakness. I don't want to make any provision. But if we fail, we get up quickly and we name it, isolate it and forsake it and move on. And we don't give idle time to the devil. You know, let's say there's a problem on the internet or with pornography or with uh, stealing, gambling, uh, lying, whatever it is. We recognize where the compromise is, where we have somehow allowed that to come into our life, and we set up boundaries, identify triggers, and we apply Christ's heart towards it. Okay, so First John chapter 3, verse 20, we do not condemn ourselves, right? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, because he knows all things. He knows all things. We don't, right? So, this is a, a tricky landscape that we have in our world today because people don't wanna hear the truth. They want, they're lovers of themselves, lovers of darkness. And you know what? You can only pray, love, and minister, but the, the, the consequence and outcome is up to them. And God will always pursue, isn't that, that's beautiful. God will always pursue the words that you speak to them in love will always return and keep speaking to them. All right, 2 Corinthians 7, so we just keep loving and ministering, but we never give up. But that doesn't mean we go on vacation with our enemy either, right? We want to be careful, like the influences in our lives, they're, they're not going to impact us negatively, but we want to have a lifestyle that reflects and reinforces what God is uh, doing in our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter seven, ten through 13, we really see, uh, actually verse eight, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verse eight through 13. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry for, an, for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observation of this very thing that you are sorrowed in, in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication and all these things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So the context is uh, the son of um, there's a father who has a son and the son is having sexual relationships with his father's wife. And Paul is saying, listen, that should not even be mentioned in the church. And so he's he is presenting the truth. There's conviction. Conviction shows that we're spiritually alive, by the way. Uh, A seared conscience is something tragic where. Uh, We are desensitized or we are no longer touched by the sin and it sears our conscience. And uh, therefore, we are doing what we're doing without any check from the Holy Spirit because we're numb or we're calloused. This particular situation, there was a godly sorrow, which means the spirit reflected to this man uh, what this was doing to Christ. This was grieving the spirit. This was quenching the spirit. And there was a repentance, a change of mind. And he just said, you know, you were going to suffer loss, uh, but we were willing to communicate so you wouldn't suffer loss for long, that you would respond and that you would not waste your time or enter into a, um, these, this season of, sin upon sin compounding the compounding and, and having um the wages of sin is death so notice this that repentance leads to salvation that's not it's not the gift of salvation this is deliverance a deliverance is a better word so when we repent this is the first start of deliverance this is why as a nation revival starts with turning to god agreeing with god and walking with God. So notice what happens. Observe this very thing, you sorrowed in a godly manner. Judas Judas was weeping, but was was Judas actually repenting? He wasn't. He was just mad that he got caught. But here we're saying he got caught, but he didn't try to justify his sin. He was openly accountable and responsible Uh, to God. These are big words. Let's say there's a a besetting sin in your life and you cannot manage it. You cannot get help. Get with somebody in an agopic relationship, a judgment-free zone that will love you, that will speak to you, that will minister to you. Accountability will help you and I grow out of weak points. You have someone encouraging you, someone that's coaching you. Well, it cleared your conscience. Look at this. This is very interesting in verse 11. It made you, it gave you a godly anger, actually, indignation, which means now you're tapped into how God thinks about something. Like like if we were to see a kid getting hurt, we would be upset, I hope, and we would come to that child's aid. Uh, let's say um, I was sharing with uh, Pastor Carl recently that care fights for the weak. It's the same principle. It's like we are defending and, and and guarding the household of faith. What vehement desire. So this is something interesting about sin. Like sin, when it comes into our life, it can crowd and kind of clutter uh, the beautiful things in our life. Let's say peace. And then when we entertain sin or sin is, is left unchecked in our life, then it starts to cover our peace. It starts to complicate we start to overthink, we become very self-aware and uh, the joy is is stunted, the peace is gone, the the, um, the carefree attitude is now more self-oriented. So I don't want to say, you know, if you're experiencing any of those things that you need to analyze every sin in your life, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we can say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, if there's sin in my life, like David said in Psalm 51, I've sinned against you and you alone, Lord, uh, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. So when you go to God, we're clearing ourselves or we're opening ourselves up and saying, God, if there's any wicked way in me, address it, and I surrender it to you. So this, is, this, is really, this is really an amazing, um, amazing set of verses here. He goes, and this is worth our study. What zeal. So again, when the clutter is gone, we have just like entering to a house. Uh, I've been in houses where there's been, they've been hoarders and you, there's tunnels to the chair and tunnels to the bed and tunnels to the bathroom. It's awful. When you get rid of the clutter, there's there's a new attitude, a new motivation and a new resolve. And that's good. So... Uh, Paul is is congratulating them for addressing this manner, and this matter, and, to, and he's saying, "Listen, don't, don't, um, don't go, don't come back to this. Like we see that where um, you know you clean the room if you don't fill the room. In the Gospels, we see the demons come back and they fill the room, and it's it's worse than it was before. So so again, let's say there's there's something in our life that. It it causes us to, it we struggle with it. Now, remember, the struggle is not sin. That's important. We're all in a struggle. Struggle is not sin. Doubt is not sin. It isn't. It's what we do with it. So we have to take that struggle to God. We have to take that doubt to God. We have to take that, that issue to God. And we say, Lord, I submit to you. And therefore, you give me the power to resist the devil in First Peter 5, 7. So repentance is really a gift from God that realigns us to the mind of God and to the heart of God, right? So in our message to the unbeliever, it is presenting who Christ is. And the contrast and the beauty of Christ turns that person to a place where they say, Oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. I need a savior, right? Uh, I am am in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of a transformation. So as believers, we are presenters and not debaters. We certainly want to answer people's questions, but we are presenters. You know, what are we speaking about Christ? What is our message about Christ? Do we have a great big Christ, right? And on the flip side, how we handle people in failure says a lot about our faith if i'm a judge a critic a complainer a someone who is like an investigator then it's like wow my god is very small but if i'm loving with god's love and looking beyond the fault and investing in what is needed then that person will have a change of heart and there will be healing and there'll be a transformation lord willing all right so let's continue here um so Romans 3.23, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us. Luke 5, 8. We are depraved. We are helpless, hopeless uh, without Him. We are hopeless and helpless without Him. And um, you know, that is a good, that's a good revelation. Now, we don't stay there. Our depravity leads us to a place of worship because we know we're nothing but but with God, we're 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 everything. We're everything in Him. Look at Ephesians 1 7. Ephesians 1 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. So, what's the core of forgiveness? It's the riches of grace. Now, that does not. Now, I, I want to make sure that this is clear um we have to have healthy boundaries we're not going to be in a place where we're constantly abused or taken advantage of or mistreated Uh, those things may happen but it should not happen on a consistent basis so we want to have healthy boundaries when there's toxic relationships but he is saying here paul is saying you and i as sons and daughters have redemption and forgiveness Uh, were made kings and priests in Revelations 1-5 because of the riches of grace. And this is why in my years of sexual addiction counseling or I should say addiction counseling in general, grace, grace is really the only agent I have seen that changes the, the addiction cycle. Most, and let's look here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Most people know that they're wrong. Most people are captive or stuck. So giving methodology and techniques are great. But grace, when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The, the revelation of grace is what changes the addictive cycle, which changes the heart which changes the mind which changes the appetite okay someone that's drinking how do they get out of that well they set up and have preparation of the heart identify triggers yes but they're pouring grace into their life not grace to sin but in Titus 3 uh, Titus 2:11 Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness, so I'm learning who God is and he's changing the way uh, I am and we're crucifying the flesh Galatians 614 we are crucified to our sin we're crucified to the world and now we're alive to Christ. Right Ephesians 2:1. we were dead in sin, but now we're made alive to Christ so again, how do we get out of these things. Our focus is Christ. It's not trying not to do these things, but our focus is Christ. We're filling our world and our habits, Christ-centered habits. We're around the people of God. We're minimizing the influences that lead us in the opposite direction. We see this all over Proverbs. My son, if sinners entice you, cast thou not your consent. Don't pay attention to the suggestion of the devil or to, another way of thinking that will lead you or entice you uh, away so what is the power of sin in our life the power of sin in our life is found in any uncrucified area in my life if i've not surrendered certain areas of my heart then that area of my heart will eventually lead me away from god that's why my flesh cannot be managed. That's why I don't trust my flesh. That's why we have healthy boundaries with the opposite sex. That's why we have a an attitude of reverence and care and um, we're careful. We're we we are we are we are simple about this. We're simple faith defeats sophisticated darkness. We know this. Simple concerning what is evil, right? We flee youthful lusts. We do not I think we can manage our sin if we're weak in an area we do not give a place and we have accountability and we're in a place of repentance if we fail and god restores us okay second peter 3 9 um how you doing out there you doing all right i hope you're doing okay all right second peter 3 9 it says the lord is not slack concerning his promises some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to a place of repentance. That's God's heart. Sins of omission, right? Maybe we don't even realize we're sinning. And this is where God, and this is where David is saying, I'm just creating me a clean heart. Show me, give me a divine sensitivity. The devil's trying to desensitize us but God is saying, I wanna give you a divine sensitivity so that you can know my heart. Look at the book of Jude for a minute. Jude verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, okay? We can't do that. He is doing that as our focus and our attention is on him. And to present you faultless, well, that's a blameless, all right. Wait a minute. We don't even look at ourselves that way. Jesus is saying, "This is how I'm going to present you, because now my blood covers your sin." In uh, Isaiah 1:18, you were guilty, and now you are. Now you are righteous. You were red like crimson. Now you're white as snow. You were filthy, but now you're pure. And He says, "I'll present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy." So that's, that's awesome. That's, that's like, this is the way out of habitual sinning or, um, you know, someone might say, oh, this is the way I was born. I, it, this is the, this is just my propensity. I'm just going to, just going to, not going to fight it anymore. Well, giving up or giving in, caving in, it may complicate and devastate your world. Don't lose the fight here. The fight is this the fight is not trying not to sin that's not that's not the fight. The fight is our focus. Our fight is Christ at the center, my focus. I'm listening to Christ, following the pattern of Christ, uh, receiving repentance uh, often keeping short accounts like maybe there's a day where you just wake up and you've got fire coming out of your mouth and horns coming out of your head. It's like just be talking to God all day. And God will help you through those kind of days. All right. So again, our position is sonship. But our experience when we sin breaks fellowship. Let's not get those mixed up. Sonship is permanent. Our experience is through progressive sanctification. We're becoming more like Christ. And through obedience, we revenge disobedience through obedience. So let's say I have an area in my life, the way that's changed is we embrace a new way of thinking, a new pattern. So let's say, um, you know, we replace something with something that glorifies God. And then all of a sudden we have no time or room or desire to sin in those areas again, okay? So the prodigal in Luke 15, 20, it was the father's heart that turned him to a place of repentance. Isaiah 30 verse 18, we see that God is waiting to be gracious. And the picture there in the Hebrew is his hands are folded and his feet's tapping like he's impatient so that he can be gracious to you and I. And this is what we find every time we come in the place of repentance. We don't find an angry God. We don't find a a criticizing God. We don't find a, a God that's like ready to club us over the head. No, we find a God with open hands. Romans 10, 21. He is, his arms are wide open, and he is willing and wanting us to come to his side and receive his fellowship. Jeremiah 50, verse 20, great verse. He throws our sin behind his back, and he cannot find our sin. It's not his front focus. It's not the basis of our relationship. You know, some, some circles, uh, they they put people on probation. They 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 have this idea that you have to prove yourself. Now, in leadership, there is church discipline, of course, because leaders affect many people. So they're, they're to held to a higher standard. But we don't put people on probation, right? We are making sure that they are helped and that they are in a place where they can have victory. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14, God is leading us in victory, So you might be saying, I don't experience that the whole time. Well, that's okay. We are progressively growing, and that will be our experience. Micah 7.18, he has buried our sin in the deepest sea. Isn't that good? Psalm 103.12, another great verse. He does not handle us in our sin. Somebody might say, God's punishing me, or this is happening because I didn't do this, this, and this. so, So granted, God will allow correction by having us live in the consequence, but that is not absence absence of mercy. God's mercy will triumph over our judgment. So God will allow things in our life not to destroy us, but to mature us and to turn us from things that will war against our soul. All right, so three foundations of the heart here. So our heart, right? Our heart, right? We have to guard our heart. And in biblical counseling, we're addressing the heart, which controls the mind or feeds the mind, which dictates to the body. Psychology deals a lot with the mind. So a lot of our action is behavior modification. Biblical counseling, biblical, uh, biblical the nature of, of the Bible, it changes our heart. It changes our heart, which is the center of all operations. So three foundations of our heart is forgiveness leads us to love. We come to God and ask for forgiveness, and then we experience the love of God again, afresh, anew. Let's say someone might say, I don't sense God. I don't feel God. I don't, I don't think I'm saved. I don't have that, that first love experience. Well, we're not looking for a feeling. We're looking for the fact that we are loved loved with the same intensity, and it can never diminish from the beginning of time. We experience that love in different capacities, and and that's beautiful, but forgiveness keeps us open to receive that love. It's a gateway. Maybe that's a good word. So forgiveness is a gateway to love. Number two, grace is a gateway to liberty. This is why uh, when someone comes to you in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore that person right in a spirit of meekness galatians six one so grace leads us to liberty, not liberty to live for ourselves or live according to the you know you know i'm gonna do whatever I want because I have the right to do it no no no, our lives affect other lives, so whatever is uh our privilege might not be expedient to do, so therefore grace leads us. So liberty in Christ, liberty in to love, liberty to forgive, liberty to give what the person desperately needs, liberty to give Christ. And thirdly, worship is the gateway to renewal. So these are three important things. Forgiveness is the gateway to love. God will love us every time. He'll love us into change. Grace is the gateway to liberty, right? Love has freedom. Grace has, uh, has, a, has a spirit of joy and thanksgiving and is generous, right? Worship the gateway to renewal. Sometimes we just need to put our hands up and say, Lord, I just want to worship you. I just want to praise you. I just want to declare your greatness. I want to think about who you are. I want this to be in my mind, in my heart, in that spirit of worship renews us, cleanses us, and uh, we are refreshed in Acts 3.19. Great verse, Acts 3.19, my life verse. Repent, turn, be renewed in your mind, and the times of refreshing will come in the presence of God. This is what we want, this is what we desire, and this is God's provision. Wow, so Romans chapter two, we're just getting we're just getting uh, just through a little small portion of this. So, again, he goes into wrath here in five and six. Uh, we, uh, he will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who are patiently continuing in good works. Seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, in indignation and wrath, tribulation, anguish, on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality, so you know it's the same principle: what we eat brings fuel to the body if i'm if I'm surviving on snicker bars and uh you who drinks right then my, then then we will our body will be sluggish and and uh, and we are what we eat in so many so many words, right? But if you eat like Pastor Carl, uh, like you know, you do the lean. He's a lean, mean fighting machine. You you are eating right, then you will benefit from clean food and a good metabolism, right? We all want to look as good as Pastor Carl uh, when when we get up to his age. I think he's twenty nine, right, Pastor Carl? Are you twenty nine? I think so. All right. So notice this, He Paul is saying, listen, come near to what glorifies God, which is peaceable to all and what is good. And then he goes in verse 12, and we're gonna stop in verse 16. He starts talking about the law and how the law is ultimately the judge. And then he says something very interesting here that I wanna bring to your attention as we close here in the next five minutes. It says, verse 15, who who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, and also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or excusing themselves, and that is what the world is all about, excusing and accusing, they make, they slam you, and they justify themselves, It's, it's all a bunch of craziness, like, When we come to God in repentance, we must first take ownership. Lord, I did wrong. If I'm justifying myself, am I excusing myself? Am I like, it's that person's fault, like Adam did. It's the woman you gave me, great accusation, right? Great deflection, right? No, we take accountability and we say, Lord, I was wrong. Lord, you are right. Lord, I agree with what you say about my sin. I have no excuse. And I'm not going to accuse anybody. I'm going to embrace it. Psalm 212. And guess what happens? There is a renewal. There is a a change. So in the day, verse 16, when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. So Hebrews 4.13, this is kind of like alarming. Nothing is hidden from God. So we might think we're fooling God, but we're not. And I just want to say this don't live in guilt don't let guilt be your motivator don't let shame and fear and guilt be something in your life that you wrestle with God is for you God is right there with his arms wide open, there is no sin that God has not already paid for. let's reconcile ourselves to God let's agree with the promise. And let him transform our life let's not live in the second half of Romans chapter one, where we just live in a destructive lifestyle, but let's live. In this attitude of repentance it's not about being a spiritual superhero or being being like the super Christian. That's hypocrisy, but instead we're honest and Hebrews 10 22. we come to God with an honest heart Hebrews 10 and we say Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief let's have good boundaries let's talk to god often and say lord i'm sorry you are right i'm wrong and i embrace your thinking and i move on i name it isolate it and forsake it repentance is a gift from god it is what clears the conscience it is the blood of christ that renews us and makes us brand new and we are clean clean before god because of the blood of christ Okay, God bless you. Uh, let's talk about that in the wrap. Maybe Dan, hopefully Dan is there. Let's unpack these thoughts today. And don't forget the homework. Let's write a paper, three paragraphs, typewritten on Romans chapter one. And I'll be given a quiz uh, next class. Father, thank you for these thoughts. Lord, help us to access and use the tools that you've given us to and keep us, Lord, close to you. Keep our hearts sensitive. Keep us, Lord, uh, just focused on you. Help us to fight to keep our focus on you. Help us to push away all things so that you are clearly in front of us. And help us to trust and believe that what you say is the real truth, because it is. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks, friends, for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode.